Could God himself create a bottom of the ninth situation that even he couldn't get out of? Cassinda Bulger and I discuss that and other religiously philosophical topics on this episode of Cracker Jack. Yes, friends, welcome back to yet another episode of Cracker Jack. How are you? I'm good. It's, uh, it's been a weird January, but I won't get into why. I'm excited for today's episode, though, um, for many reasons. The biggest of which is not because one of my dearest friends is here to talk about a movie. It's also not because the movie that she's here to talk about is perhaps one of the most preposterous pieces of narrative that ever has been put to film. But it is because it's the first time in the two years that I've been doing podcasts, not two years, it is now my second year doing podcasts, uh, this is the first ever in-person episode of a podcast that I've ever done. Uh, and that's really exciting. So please forgive any technical difficulties, because I've only ever learned how to do this one way, and now I'm trying a second. But that's not what we're here to talk about. What we're here to talk about is the delightful 1994 romp Angels in the Outfield, produced by a small and upcoming movie studio that I'm not sure you've ever heard of called the Walt Disney Company. Without further ado, let's get into it. My guest for this episode of the... Crackerjack podcast is a very dear friend of mine. I met her way back in 2011. We performed in Taming of the Shrew together at the Vagabond Productions production of that play. She is an actor. She is a writer. She is various things. She works at the tax center. She was at various points a barista and a board game purveyor. Please welcome... To the show, Cassinda Bulger. Cassinda, hello. Hello. Glad to be here. And I'm glad that we can hear you, because oh. let's be real, up until about 10 minutes ago, we weren't sure whether <laughs> this setup was going to work or not. Yeah. And we are using Cassinda's microphone, so if there are any technical difficulties, please, yeah, please let her know. Uh, I will give you her personal phone number oh. in the episode description. <laughs> um, yeah. How are you? How are things? Good. Just uh, had my coffee. Uh, Excellent. drinking water now, yeah. so stay hydrated. Yeah, it's good. You gotta keep those vocal cords. Especially on the field. Yes, we gotta keep the uh, the vocal cords nice and lubed up. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something too, actually. And I start every episode by asking my guests what their relationship to the game of baseball is. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and, and so, and having shared a small sliver of that history with you, mm-hmm. I'm interested in the parts that came uh, BB before Benton. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I, uh, well, I played softball from a very young age, uh, from grade one up until about grade nine. So a good long while. Uh, for a little bit of that time, my nickname was Slugger. I think it was, uh, okay, <laughs> you don't have to laugh <laughs> that much. I tried uh, to laugh silently. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, uh, I was, I was, um, 
pretty good at batting. That was one of my favorite things. Um, and in elementary, <laughs> anytime they put me in the outfield, I would just sit down and play with the flowers. Yeah, that was my whole deal, too. Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah. Um, and then eventually, you know, when I got to junior high and stuff, I got a little bit more serious about it. And I was playing for, I, you know, I can't even remember the like the title of the team, the classification. I think it was the AAA um, and they, we were like a PEI team because it was people from literally mm-hmm. all over from people, uh, people, I, people, I, um, <laughs> girls in like the grade nine age. Um, and we were a really good team, but after that I kind of petered off. I got more involved with curling, mm. um, which was a great time too. And then eventually we would be on the lob team together, yep. um, which was a lot of fun. And that for, was, for some of us, for, yeah, it was. It was a, I mean, I was pretty out of practice and out of shape at that point. So. Well, it was funny because, like, I remember we we brought you on. Like, I joined before you, I think, mm-hmm. for, by at least a couple of games. Yeah. And then I guess they needed another person to fill in. And we were Adam and I, Adam Gauthier, our mutual friend, and I were both sort of like, well, Cassinda used to play. Mm-hmm. And then you came in, and I remember, like, like knowing you as an actor, primarily, mm-hmm. and, like, a generally, you know, somewhat nerdy person. And then having you, like, come in and, like, be, like, this crack second baseman for us, and I was just like, damn, girl, okay, cool. Yeah. Meanwhile, I was there trying to figure out which hand to put my glove on. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were good. It was okay. I mean, they put me behind the plate because that was where I was the least defensive liability, but <laughs> it was okay. Yeah, and it was, I, I find it interesting that you mentioned that they would put you in the outfield and you would do, like, look at your shadow or play with the flowers mm-hmm. or whatever. And so that kind of brings me to my next question, which is, I, I always ask my guests, always, I've had two, but I ask my guests what, like, people would say, like, hey, what's your sign? Mm-hmm. And I would say, hey, what is your baseball position? But, like, on a spiritual level. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. And so for me, like, I'm spiritually a left fielder because it's the least social (laughs) position on the baseball team. Right. Um, And, like, the least high leverage and, like, least important kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. I... Hmm. That's a really good question, actually. I would say if my position wasn't actually and spiritually second base then it would probably be um oh no i should this should have been a question that i thought a while yeah ago, i should so have I given you some homework <laughs> um oh man um i think spiritually uh catcher oh interesting okay yeah catcher is like they're always kind of they're not interacting maybe necessarily with everybody but they're always there um they're always ready they have they have to pay attention to everything at all times right and i think that spiritually that resonates with me because uh (laughs) i feel very scatterbrained most of the time and that position spiritually grounds me i think like i i always think of like first baseman as like the mayor Mm -hmm. of like because everyone comes through first base and you get to like shake hands and like have a chat or whatever Whereas a catcher might be more of, like, a city councilor, yeah. which has, like, a similar sort of dignified air to it, but was, is also actually doing something, whereas the first baseman just has to stand there and catch a ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, apologies Ooh, to, any, are... apologies <laughs> to any first baseman fired. out there. 
but first baseman, like I could have been a first baseman. Let's be real. Um, I'm also curious because um, Carly Billings was on the show, and, and oh, yeah, her. we love Carly, and uh, she was talking about how frustrating she found it that girls weren't allowed to play baseball, fast pitch baseball. Yeah. Um, was that a frustration that you encountered? Oh, oh yeah. I, um, for a long time, I know that, uh, it took me a while to, this is not going to paint me, I guess, in the smartest light, but it took me a while, um, as a kid to realize why there was a difference between softball and baseball. Mm. And I was like, no, I, I play baseball. That's right. what I'm playing. Like there are bases. Mm-hmm. This is the ball. I'm playing baseball. Uh, and then eventually I realized that the, the softball is much larger and yeah. literally softer yeah. than the baseball. Um, and it did frustrate me, uh, I think, uh, once I kind of realized why I was playing softball. Um, at the same time, when you're a kid playing softball versus baseball, um, I think that as a training point, the softball is definitely a good practice because it is softer. It's a lot more dangerous on the field for kids to be playing. True. Um, and yep. with a baseball, that could definitely amp up um, the danger. But past a certain age point when there would be that divide, um, and I actually uh, think saying it out loud no, now, I have no idea when that divide begins, when boys start playing baseball. Yeah. Um, but knowing that now... Uh, I mean, it's just another one of those things in sports for women. Yeah, it's like it's like hockey versus ringette, or yeah. you know. Um, but yeah. in in a lot of ways, like I find it interesting because in Canada, anyway, the women's softball team, like the Olympic women's softball team, is incredible. Mm-hmm. It's like soccer. Like the women's soccer team is incredible, and the men's soccer team is trash, mm. and the men's baseball team is trash, and the women's softball team is amazing. <laughs> so like. I don't think it's right, but they've made some delicious lemonade out of the lemons they were Absolutely, dealt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so that's to be commended. Mm-hmm. What is not to be commended is the screenplay <laughs> for Angels in the Outfield. <laughs> so let's move on to this movie. Uh, 1994. Uh, it was a Disney movie. And we'll talk uh, a little bit about it in a second, but I want to give the listeners a plot recap because it is truly something that has to be experienced firsthand. As I'm gonna get into it, it is difficult to experience it firsthand, so I'm gonna do my best to give you an unfiltered experience about what this movie actually is. So, before we get too far into it, I do wanna be clear that this is a remake of a 1950s movie, also called Angels in the Outfield. Um, That movie was about the Pittsburgh Pirates, and essentially, there was a woman in that movie who thinks that the pirates could be doing better and she like prays to God and gets angels to come down and help them. And that's basically it. The Disney, uh, the Disney movie in 1994 changes a few de- uh, details of that movie. First of all, the main character is no longer a woman. It is a young boy named Roger. And the team is no longer the Pittsburgh Pirates because between the time the movie was released and the time the remake was released, a new team had been founded called the Angels, the California Angels at the time of the movie, then went on to be known as the Anaheim Angels, and are now known as the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Roger is a foster child, he is a ward of the state, and his father tells him that they can be a family again 
when the Angels win the pennant because the Angels are the worst team in the league. And so Roger prays to God that the Angels will win the pennant. And then God, in his omnipotence, sends down an undetermined number of Angels to help the real-life Angels, or the, the baseball Angels, win the pennant. And wouldn't you know it, Roger's dad just still decides they're not going to be a family anyway. Yeah, uh, Kasinda, I guess I'll start with the easiest, perhaps, maybe it's the most difficult question, I don't know. Um, did you like the movie, and do you like the movie? Because this is a this is a movie that is big for both of us mm-hmm. from our childhoods. Yes. So let's start with, did you like the movie, and then we'll move on to, do you like the movie? I loved the movie mm-hmm. as a kid. I would watch this movie with my cousin at her house <laughs> all the time on VHS, and... I, I remember it being, like, so huge because my cousin was also on the team that oh, I was on. Cool. We played together. Um, and we loved this movie. <laughs> we watched it so many times. And one of the scenes that I remember that I um, was happy to see again but thought it was a much bigger part of the movie <laughs> <laughs> uh, on my rewatch recently was when... Um, there's a scene when Matthew McConaughey's character goes to catch the ball and he goes right through the wall. Yes. Uh, and I thought, <laughs> I was like, oh man, that's a huge part of the movie. <laughs> and I watched it uh, again recently and found out that it's actually a split second of the movie. Well, that, and that, that's really interesting because you hear about this cast for this movie and you think that all of these people are going to be such big parts of it. Mm-hmm. And so like looking at this cast, it's like... <laughs> it's embarrassing how good this cast of this movie is. Yeah. But it's like, we have Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing the kid, Roger. Danny Glover, Matthew McConaughey, Tony Danza, Christopher Lloyd, Adrian Brody, Neil McDonough, um, Brenda Fricker, the uh, pigeon lady from Home Alone 2. Who has recently been in the news again. Oh, has she? I was not familiar with this. Give me the scoop. Just, just the news around... Um... Uh, oh my gosh, what's his name? Ted Cruz. About Ted Cruz being the pigeon lady? Oh, no, uh, Piers Morgan. It was, was it Piers Morgan? I think it was Piers Morgan. It was, yeah, because Piers, uh, Piers Morgan had to go on Twitter. <laughs> yes! Yeah, Piers yes. Morgan had to go on, I remember this, yeah. Peter, Piers Morgan had to go on Twitter and definitively say that he, he, he did not play the pigeon lady <laughs> yeah. in Home Alone 2. Oh, that's so oh, good. So good. Um, but yeah, so I guess when you have Disney money... Mm-hmm. You can afford to pay all of these people. But as you were telling me before we started recording, Matthew McConaughey was not Matthew McConaughey. Not at that time, no. This was uh, one of his first auditions in L.A. Wow. Which is pretty big. I mean, yeah, like a Disney movie right off the bat mm-hmm. is, uh, is pretty good. Uh, this movie, I personally don't think is really good. Um, I, now, yeah. I can say that I... <laughs> I... I... I want to like this movie because I liked it so much when I was a kid, but I think even on like a moral standpoint, I can't, I can't. It's obviously this movie costs a lot of money to make. Mm -hmm. It's a Disney movie. There's like a, like Danny Glover in the, in the, in 1994 was not coming cheap. Mm -mm. You would expect Christopher Lloyd wasn't coming cheap either. I just think about if this movie was made now, Mm -hmm. like, it's a preposterous, like, 
the movie itself is preposterous in its entire existence. Mm -hmm. So you have this, like, movie... It's, like, equally dramatic and tragic and, like, high-stakes emotional things. And And then then, you have slapstick comedy. Yeah, you have Matthew McConaughey walking through a wall. You have Neil McDonough's entire character where he just hits himself in the face with a bat. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then, his own fist and at his one own, point. And his own fist at one point. But it's also so unapologetically and straightforwardly religious in, mm-hmm. its, in the same way that I don't think you could get away with now. No. It's just, it, just bog- it just boggles my mind watching it in 2021 mm-hmm. and... Just thinking that it's, you know, it's only 26 years ago, 27 years ago now. And it's just, it's, to me, the whole existence of it is preposterous. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, watching it last last night, it was an enjoyable experience, but only because I bought in. Yeah. You know, I, I knew I was going to be watching Angels in the Outfield. Mm-hmm. So I like, you know, got it together to do it. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, it's it's got stories about the foster care system it's got a monologue about a kid and his mom sleeping in a car and so he can't take car rides anymore alongside baseball players running around as an angel is like playing keep away with a baseball and like you know just it's preposterous that's the Mm -hmm. word i'm gonna use anyway um and in terms of being a baseball movie like the movie's about baseball but it does not do a good job of accurately portraying baseball on the field. And that's something mm-hmm. that I've, I've noticed that I'm actually very concerned about as I've been going through this podcast. <laughs> and uh, I don't really know what I was expecting, but this movie did not live up to, to my expectations, I guess, in that way. Um, right. And maybe that was just the terrible CGI that was happening all the time. Mm, um, that's fair. Yeah. Although I... <laughs> I would argue it was some of the best CGI for 1994. At the time, <laughs> Or perhaps. the early 1990s. Yeah. Um, uh, but yes, it, <laughs> the CGI is just terrible. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm interested in just sort of your thoughts generally. I know you have mm-hmm. some notes if you want to talk about some stuff. Yeah, um, I, have, um, I have notes that I took uh, through my rewatch. So it basically goes very... Um, not specifically, but like just points, stray thoughts through sure. the plot. Yeah. So it goes pretty much from start to finish. So we have Roger, the main character, who is in a foster home. Uh, he's got a deadbeat dad. His mom passed away. I just want to... The dad yeah. is such an interesting thing to me. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, is my dad here? And then Maggie's like, yeah, your dad's here. And then he runs inside and there's like... A cloud of cigarette yeah. smoke. I yeah. I just want to read this note. Sure. Yeah. I'm for the rest of my notes. I'm probably just going to paraphrase yeah. what I wrote. Um. But this one I want to read as is. Roger has a visitor. It's his cool dad. That's too cool to be his dad. You know he's cool because of the cigarette and the leather jacket. Yeah. Roger's dad is leaving him behind and giving up his parental rights. I'm not laughing at that. I'm laughing at the next thing I wrote, which is instead of parental rights, he has a motorcycle. Yeah, and honestly, like, I, I don't, I don't think this movie understands how baseball or the childcare system in America actually works, Mm -hmm. because I. Anyway, it's like. (laughs) 
we can get into it, but Dermot Mulroney, I think it's I can, I never Dermot Mulroney or Dylan McDermott, mm-hmm. like I can't get them I can't keep them straight. But it's uh, I think it's Dermot Mulroney. He was in Friends. He was in New Girl. But yeah, he he plays the like basically he's like Uncle Jesse from Full House if Uncle Jesse smoked. Mm. Jesse, Uncle Jesse, John Stamos' character. Yeah. I've never seen Full I think House, I'll, but I think Uncle Jesse. Yeah, yeah that's right. But he, yeah, he's the pitcher, right? The washed up pitcher. No, that's that's Tony Danza. Oh, that's uh, Tony Danza fr- from Who's the Boss? Yeah, Dermot Mulroney's the dad. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, Dermot Mulroney's Roger's dad. Oh man! Wow. Yeah, and like this is so. This is a movie about baseball that tries to tell the movie-going public that baseball managers walk around in their uniforms all the time. Mm. And it tries to tell you that baseball players would say, get your butt out of there. Mm-hmm. And like, it, it's it's interesting to try to showcase a behind the scenes baseball movie that's not allowing swearing. Yeah. And then they even go so far as to, be, Roger like goes up to the manager of the team and is like, hey, don't swear so much. <laughs> yeah. And so he decides instead of saying, damn it, he's going to say, dang it. Mm-hmm. And there, there was one part where I... I- where uh, George Knox, Danny Glover's character, the manager of the Angels, this is after the point when the Angels, the uh, Heavenly Angels, have started helping the Angels baseball mm-hmm. team. And one of the guys gets up to bat and he says something along the lines of, I know you can do it. That's <laughs> like, no manager <laughs> in their right mind would ever. Yeah. Like, it's just not... It's so, it's too wholesome. Oh, it's, it's like, it's so, it's so wholesome in every aspect. And like, like to me, like I'm, I'm a nitpicker about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And like the, the fact that there is no general manager present. Yeah. I, I, I did say that Danny Glover was the manager, but he's the, he's more the coach. Well, he's, he's the man, he's the manager. Yeah. Like, but like the general manager. And so like. <laughs> the, the scene where where uh, Roger sees an angel like helping out Tony Danza's pitcher character who's been hurt for so long, mm-hmm. and they still, like put him in the game, and then Danny Glover's character goes over and says, "You're in the game." That's not actually his decision to make. <laughs> oh. And like so, yeah, so you have an owner and you have a manager, but there, there's usually like a general manager and there's somewhere that makes the roster moves, and the manager has to do with that what he will. And we saw a lot of that uh, in Moneyball in our last episode, where Billy Bean was the general manager and was telling Art how Philip Seymour Hoffman in the movie what to do. And like, I guess I set myself up for failure because I was looking for authenticity and accuracy <laughs> in a movie about divine intervention and angels coming down and helping a team. Mm-hmm. Um, on that note, too, uh, <laughs> this is a little bit later in my notes, but this was a good reminder that, um, for me anyway, that in the, I don't know if this is still being done, but at least in the 2000s, the early 2000s and the, uh, like, all of the 90s, they were using Sam Hill as a replacement for Hell and, like, other really oh yeah yeah it's um so the owner of the team Mm -hmm. at one point he goes what in the sam hill is going on (laughs) and that's a common theme in kids movies is they'll use this phrase what in the sam hill yeah wow okay because uh yeah that i guess it kind of sounds like what in the damn hell is going on here what in the sam hill is (laughs) that's hilarious Mm -hmm. good catch 
Uh, we've got JP, the sweetest mm. little best friend in the world. Bless. Mm -hmm. Bless JP. He has the first line in the movie. Yeah. And it's literally, Roger, do you believe in heaven? <laughs> I do feel bad for JP as a character because he's basically, and I have to, I'll have to double check this because I feel like there might be two taglines for the movie, mm. but one of them is definitely, it could happen. Mm. And this poor kid, it's, it's almost his only line in the movie. He says it so many times. He's, he's, this poor character is a tool for that tagline. Yeah. No, he it, says it at least seven times. He's, he's a tool for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, um, so, so one of the rules that the angels set out for Roger is that they don't want any recognition so he can't tell anybody, but he's already told JP and he's already told the manager of the team. So it's the three of them in on the secret. And so in order for the manager and for Roger to have their discussions about the angels, JP has to distract the like the the public relations yeah, guy. Yeah, David. Yeah, David uh, Taylor Negron. And so he just has to continuously just go to the bathroom. That's like his plot mechanic. <laughs> or they want nachos or hot dogs yeah. and they make him get it. And then they squirt it all over him and it's yeah, delicious children movie hijinks. <laughs> Oh. This is one of those movies where I knew exactly what was going to happen from the moment the movie started. Mm -hmm. Almost. Mm. So I basically had it figured out that JP was going to get adopted by Danny Glover's character, mm -hmm. but I wasn't sure what was going to happen to Roger. Really? Yeah. And I, after the movie ended, I was like, well, that was stupid of me, uh, obviously. But I was like, I was kind of holding out hope that he was, like, Maggie was going to adopt him or something. Mm. But, you know, mm -hmm. I guess I can't have everything that I want. I thought it would be more obvious since we heard everything about Roger's court proceedings and how right. he was going through yeah. the like the official legal. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess it's not emancipation if he's not doing it. Yeah, but, it's like the renunciation yeah, of rights or whatever. Um, yeah. That he would be adopted by Danny Glover, but even on my rewatch, I kind of forgot this as a kid uh, that or that I had seen it, this as a kid. I wasn't sure if JP was going to be adopted by Danny Glover. Right. It was the opposite for me. Right. That's that's interesting. Also interesting to me is like all of this is about winning the pennant. It's mm -hmm. not about winning the World Series. Yeah. And I don't know because they, they just finished first place in their division. That's all that happens at the end of this movie. And mm -hmm. then they have to go to the playoffs and the Angels aren't going to help them anymore. So they probably lose. Mm -hmm. um, now, <laughs> I would argue that we don't know that the Angels aren't going to help them anymore because all the Angels say is that they will not interfere in championships. That's true. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess... Uh, but, I mean, at that point, too, they could have graduated beyond needing the Angels. True. Um, as, as we see with um, with Mel Clark, mm -hmm. uh, he did it on his own. Yeah. Six months <laughs> before he dies of lung cancer. Yeah. <laughs> I think an unnecessary plot <laughs> I, I was like literally I was sitting I was sitting right over there in in on my couch watching this movie and Christopher Lloyd <laughs> leans over to Joseph Gordon-Levin and goes you see Mel Clark over there he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna die of lung cancer in six months and there's nothing anyone can do about it <laughs> Uh, and, and then he's like, but it's okay. He's going to be one of us. Yeah. And it, and, uh, <laughs> and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, his only reply is, oh. <laughs> I know. And like, this is, this is the tightrope that this movie is trying to walk. 
between these like children's movie hijinks of like squirting ketchup and mustard all over Taylor Negron and also talking about how Tony Danza is going to die of lung cancer in six months and there's nothing anyone can do to stop it. Mm-hmm. I Not don't. to mention, like, this is an angel telling him that. Yeah. And the angels are already helping them right. win the penance. Yeah, they're, they're literally omnipotent. Yeah. And they're like, <laughs> they're we're not like, going to do yeah. anything about it. No, we're good. <laughs> but I, okay, if we're, if, we're, we're all over the plot right now, yeah. so I'll, I'll get back to my notes later, yeah. but... I would also like to point out that basically by the end of the movie, when the angels don't help and Roger is asked by George Knox to make the angel symbol anyway, the moral of the story is to lie. True. Yeah, um, it's interesting. And that that kind of runs throughout the movie too, because the, uh, I guess the villain of the movie is the like the sportscaster yeah, character. Yeah, Ranch Wild. Ranch Wild. Wilder, Wilder. Sorry. Yeah, Ranch Wilder. And and so he basically corners JP at one point and basically forces him to tell him that Roger sees angels and that George Knox believes him. Mm-hmm. And then George Knox has to give a press conference. And so he's in he's between a rock and a hard place of like I can't lie because lying's a sin. But I also can't tell anybody that the angels exist because that violates one of the rules. Mm-hmm. So what I'm going to do is I'm only going to tell the truth as much as I need to, which is like lying by omission as mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So what the Disney Corporation is telling us in this movie is that it's okay to lie as long as you win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Which, if you look at the state of baseball right now... <laughs> Is actually kind of true. <laughs> the most unbelievable part of this movie for me is that the Blue Jays were ever the good. The Blue Jays! <laughs> they, right off the bat, yep. first like two minutes of the movie on the radio, they're yep. talking about the Blue Jays playing against the Angels. The hard-hitting Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. The the big, bad, uh, burly boys. Big one for Toronto. That's it. In a Disney uh, movie. <laughs> exactly. I, well. I guess I guess this movie was... was released in 1994 so probably Mm -hmm. shot in 93 the blue jays had just won their second world series in 1993 so that Mm -hmm. makes sense to me i cannot remember if it was at this point or if it was later but at some point the walt disney corporation bought the angels yeah they were a minority owner of this Mm -hmm. of the team which is how they ended up doing this and then i Mm -hmm. think because of that they somehow got the the rights to represent all of the american league teams Mm -hmm. And Walt Disney was also on the board as an original board member of the Angels. Right, yeah. yes. And so, what I, I read about this on Wikipedia, so, uh, you know, always cite your sources. <laughs> but uh, they premiered the movie at the Pittsburgh Pirates home stadium. Okay. As, like, a nod to the original movie. Mm. Um, but it's, that's the only time that the Pittsburgh Pirates were ever involved in the remake because the Pirates were in the National League and so they mm. never played the Angels. Okay. Which I think is kind of interesting. It's interesting to me. I don't know if anybody out there cares, but... Mm. Yeah, I I might have missed this in my rewatch, but there there was no point in the movie where they played off against the Pirates, was there? Like, no, 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 no. And so, the, like, uh, interleague play came in a couple of years after okay. um, this. Uh so, so the Ameri- and, and they wanted it to be as realistic as possible. Obviously, something else to note about this movie because it came out in 1994, it came out right before 
the strike that happened in Major League Baseball. Yes, it did. And uh, so they never played the playoffs. They never crowned a World Series champion. So as far as anyone can be sure, the Angels might have actually won the World Series that year. Let's be honest. We don't know. We don't know. Some divine intervention prevented us from ever knowing. Let's just say that much. Mm -hmm. I will say, however, that the 1994 baseball strike happened at a time when the Montreal Expos were running away with the National League and were probably going to win the World Series that year, and then work stoppage happened, and Major League Baseball screwed over the Montreal Expos. But that is for a more serious podcast than this one. (laughs) Uh, Hit me with another note. All right, what else do we have here? Um, The Angels baseball team, uh, I mean, we've already kind of mentioned this. They're made out to be dolts. Yeah. They're just, like, the slapstick starts right off the bat when we see Matthew McConaughey and um, I can't remember the other actor, uh, the name of the other actor. Yeah. Or any, I can barely remember the character names. Yeah, no. Um, But right off the bat, you see them both going to catch a ball in the outfield and they just smack right into each other. Even though... Matthew McConaughey calls it. Yep. The other one's still like, ah, I got no, it. No, you need, you need the slapstick in there. One of Adrian, Adrian Brody, Academy Award winner mm-hmm. Adrian Brody, to say nothing about Academy Award winner Matthew McConaughey, mm. which is still a sentence that I'm getting used to saying. Academy Award winner Adrian Brody has, I think, three lines in this movie. Mm-hmm. And one of them is after the uh, national anthem gets played. Mm-hmm. And he just goes, I thought that was beautiful. And like, that's his, like, yeah. And he says something along the lines, too, of it being, uh, I, this might actually be word for word, um, about it still being emotionally evocative. That's the one. That's it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, what is this movie doing? I don't know. But on that note, too, one of the other three lines that he has is a dick joke. And it's the only dick joke in the movie. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, it's 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 pretty subtle. Like kids definitely yeah. wouldn't pick up on it. Right. But it's around the start of the movie when they lose the game. Yeah. And they all are rubbing that pole. Oh yes. Uh, and and Adrian Brody's like, I think we're gonna have to start rubbing something else. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> For good luck. Oh my God. I um and maybe I'm reading into it. Well, but... you know, it's it's there for the taking, mm-hmm. I think. Danny Glover in this movie I find very interesting. Mhm. Yes. Yes. Yeah, because I, you know, he's very famous for Lethal Weapon. Mhm. And his catchphrase of course in Lethal Weapon is I'm getting too old for this shit. Mhm. And I was getting a lot of that energy from him in this movie. Yeah. I think like honestly like when he was playing like the family man Kind of when when he started being nicer to the kids, I started buying him more. Mm-hmm. But they definitely hired him because because of, of because of Lethal Weapon yeah. and because of that. And so like when he's in the when he's in the the locker room giving his tirade and he can't say anything other than butt yeah and Sam Hill like <laughs> yeah. you know it, it it loses something yeah something that I I kind of noticed and this isn't this is probably one of the reasons that I uh, I feel like I can't like this movie anymore. Okay. Is that uh, for me? There's definitely a part where Danny Glover, when he is being his like cranky George Knox, there's a, like there's a big big archetype there um, for specifically black male actors. Um, yeah. And that archetype is parodied in Community with Abed Nadir when yes. he's doing the uh, angry police officer. The the police chief character. It yeah, was yeah. The like the exact same beats mm-hmm. uh, and. 
I was like, yeah, this this is definitely a '90s movie. All of, like everything about it is '90s. Yeah. You know, it's it's the <laughs> all the way from those archetypes you're talking about, all the way up to you know Dermot Mulroney on his motorcycle mm-hmm. and saying like, "Well, kid, when the angels win the pennant, we'll mm-hmm. be a family." To again, like the frank religiosity of this plot, mm-hmm. and like I can't think of a role because like I haven't seen this. I've seen this, I had seen this movie once before. Mm-hmm. And it was, I was a kid, I probably saw it in the late 90s. I thought I saw it in theaters, but I would have only been three. Mm. So I must have, like, you seen it on VHS in the late 90s. And I remember it being a Christopher Lloyd movie. Yeah, and Christopher Lloyd is in it for five minutes no, I know. altogether. Yeah, he has, like, ten lines or something, mm-hmm. and half of them are, we're always watching. Mm-hmm. Which, again, I think the- might be a dick joke. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> never gonna hear that line the same yeah, way again there you go. but he's like the face of the poster too yeah i know he and he he's barely in it i mean the only thing i can think of is that the character of al mm-hmm. might be a bigger deal in the original i don't think so and here's why because he was wearing a parody of the la hat and i they just reversed he was wearing he was wearing the american league umpires hat really that's why that's yeah that's something i didn't know that's why that's where he got it from yeah, okay. it was it was Al, mm. and yeah, just call me Al. Mm. I'm sorry, umpires everywhere in America <laughs> for not knowing that. Uh, and uh, also to all baseball fans. Yeah, um, sorry. Yeah. Um, uh... Well, that's about all the time we have. No. no. <laughs> I do want to. I, I have. I I didn't take as many notes as you did, but I do have one that I want to get to. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I have Ranch, just a big old jerk. Oh yeah. And uh, Wally. I want to marry him. Uh, that, that's the color commentator? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Who takes over at the end after he gets he gets fired. Why does he get fired? <laughs> oh, no. I, like, that was another completely unnecessary thing, was when the owner of the team, who should have no jurisdiction over who calls the ball games for him at all, mm-hmm. comes in and says, Ranch, you're fired. And he's like, you can't fire me. First of all, you're right. He's he right, can't. Because the next line he has, I have a contract. Yes, correct. And... Also, as far as I know, he didn't do anything to get fired. No. All he did was just be a good journalist, mm-hmm. but he was kind of an asshole. But other than, And like, he was drinking on the job a lot. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't think the owner ever saw that, one. And two, for that kind of job, I don't really know if that was an issue in the 90s. Yeah. No. I'm not saying it's right. It's not right. Don't drink and do your job. That was just, I think for me that I just chalked that up to another like 90s kids movie needing to like tie off all the ends. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So I have two, I have two notes here. First note is why are angels good at baseball? Mm. (laughs) I guess they're omnipotent or something, but like, yeah. I just, it, it, that was just like a logical thing for me that I could never really get behind. Mm-hmm. And the second one, this is also a very small one. Why is the manager of a major league baseball team able to drive the team bus? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> because there's a scene where JP says that he doesn't ride in cars because of his tragic backstory. Mm-hmm. And so then Danny Glover's character decides that he'll drive the kids home in the team bus. But he drives it. Mm-hmm. And I don't, it just, it seemed very convenient to me. Like, just put another character in there. I don't care. Yeah. But, 
Uh, I think we have time for, let's say, two more of your notes to discuss. Okay. Um, uh, I'm going to put in some really quick ones. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to cram as much in as possible. Whenever Roger is uh, praying um, for the angels to help him, or, well, he's praying for anything, really, and he says, amen. A women, too. Uh, I really liked that. I actually like that, too, because when he's praying at the beginning of the movie, he says, God, if there is a God... If it's a man or a woman. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I was like, okay. Yeah. Hey, we're a little 21st century there coming in, you know? That was lovely, actually. It was really great. Um, But on that note, (laughs) the only female angel that ever shows up only shows up to give the players massages. (laughs) Uh, I believe that is uh, officially a big uh, Cracker Jack uh, official yikes. Yeah. That's a, that's a big yikes. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, I will say that the one point where I actually, like, my heart broke a little bit was whenever Joseph Gordon-Levitt and his dad are in the court and his dad walks out, even though the angels are about to win the pennant. Yeah. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt is like, Dad, where are you going? Daddy? Right. And then he just starts crying. And I was like, okay. Because of the rest of this movie, I'm not at a point where this is going to make me tear up. Yeah. But this is still actually a really touching moment right. for the movie. And I think that that was a, a, a nice setup for um, Roger's character later to be adopted by for George sure. Knox. Absolutely. That being said, I also wanted to say how impressed I was at Joseph Gordon-Levitt's young acting. Unbelievable. Um, very, very good. In fact, I... <laughs> This is a bit of a hot take. I thought he was better in this than he is quite often as an adult. Because mm-hmm. uh, as an adult, I find he just sort of coasts by on his like charm. On his fame from well, Angels in the Afterlife. Of course, yeah. <laughs> cool. So there's really only one more thing that we have to do okay. before we say goodbye. Oh, oh, oh go sorry. ahead. I, yeah. one, one other thing. Um, the last thing that I remembered is that there was one... Uh, Mem- uh, one actor in the movie who was uh, on the Angels team oh, in really? real life. Oh, cool. yeah. Okay. Uh, Carney Lansford. Okay. Um, he played the, I think it was the batter for Chicago, the one that spits all that tobacco. Oh, yeah, and he's juice. got like the, t- the tattoo. Yeah. And, yeah, and he's like super buff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, so they, they did get one. <laughs> like a one scar on his cheek. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, okay, cool. So, one last thing to do before uh, we say goodbye, mm-hmm. dear listeners, and of course, you all know what this is. We have to give the movie a rating. Oh, okay. So we each get three strikes to give. Mm-hmm. The more strikes, the higher the score. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give it a one out of three. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the lowest rating I've given on the podcast yet. Um, and I think I'm only giving it a one out of three because I was prepared for what it was going to be. Yeah. Uh, didn't care for it. I thought it was stupid and silly in a bad way. Um but, like, also, like, if you like the movie, I'm not here to harsh your mellow. Like, go have a fun time and watch the movie if you can find it. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm going to say. Um, I will give the movie a... I'll give it a one out of three. One I out think. of three. Yeah. Cool. Um, there, are, there are some things that I didn't get to in terms of... Um, moral dilemmas with the movie, and one of the other things was uh, there. There's quite a bit of fat shaming in the movie, yeah. which was not yeah good. It uh, in capacity. 
It does not hold up politically no, in our, in our it, current society. It doesn't. And for a movie with such a high moral standard of, uh, like, talking about angels and God, mm-hmm. it really sets the bar low for itself it does. in that, that's, in that's, that regard. That's, that's a really good take on that, actually. So I'm, I'm glad that we're ending on that take. Uh, I want to thank my guests so much, Cassinda Bulger, for coming here. Uh, Cassinda, mm. um, are you up to anything? Do you want to plug anything? Uh, I understand sure. that you're uh, a voice performer on a uh, on a podcast of I sorts. Uh, it's called Amazing Tales of the Atlantic. It's a fun little show with um, it's like three mini shows in one. Um, it's a lot of fun. Check it out on iTunes. Um, I think it's on a couple other platforms. But if you're on PEI, you can also see us live. Um, uh, improv with the Papalapalots, doing that every two weeks at the Guild. Uh, and I believe, Mr. Benton Hartley, you have a show coming up that I am a part of. Yeah, uh, Cassandra and I will be working on a show called I Know You that will be performed at the Guild in Charlottetown at the end of February. So we'll be talking a lot more about that on the podcast, I'm sure, because this is my platform and I'm going to use it how I want. Mm-hmm. But uh, keep an eye out for that if you are in Charlottetown or Prince Edward Island. Or, hey, if the Atlantic bubble opens up before then, who knows? At this point, we're just going to take it as it comes. Cassinda, thank you so much. It was lovely to see you. Thank you. It was great to be here. And to you, the listeners, I want to thank you for listening. I am still in search of a catchphrase. But for now, I will just leave you with my usual send-off. I've been Benton Hartley, and you've been great. Out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and crackers, Jack.